Hey there, everyone. So do you ever get tired of the same old ways of seeing things? Do you ever get the urge to cut through the world of everyday surface appearances and look for the light that's rare in the depths? Well, then maybe, just maybe, the Wisdom of Podcast is for you. Because in this podcast, we explore great works of philosophy and literature and art and try to pull out of them what's most invigorating and interesting and inspiring. Whether they come from the works of Plato, or Dostoevsky, or Picasso, here we explore ideas that move mountains and rock the soul. So, come join us, won't you? Come worship at the altar of ideas, and come celebrate the dancing of thought. And don't be afraid of the leaping sparks, as you can be certain of one thing, they will kindle the light inside of you. Welcome to the Wisdom of, coming up today, Plato's Allegory of the Cave, and how it's a warning sign for us today. This podcast here, uh, we kind of view it as a, a service of sorts. Uh, as soon as I stop talking anyways, you, you might hear some stuff that is helpful, is uh, beneficial in life in a kind of uh, universal sense. If you want to call it advice, I guess you could. And right now I'd like to offer up a little advice of my own. If you ever find yourself leaving your back alley music therapy session conveniently situated behind a convenience store and the neighborhood adult bookstore, do not, and I repeat, do not accept a free slice of homemade pizza from a guy sitting in the rain at a beat up card table who laughs like this. <laughs> now, sadly, I was not privy to this uh, fantastic piece of advice at a certain moment. I'm giving it to you now so you can benefit where I didn't. So I took the slice. Now, since vegetarianism is a absolute corporate mandate here at the Wisdom of Pod, I did inquire as to its uh, meatlessness. He said, ah, no problem, man. Nothing but my special mushrooms on this one. And as he handed me the slice, he once again dropped the aforementioned hee-hee-hee-hee-hee. At the time, I thought, what a jolly fellow. So rare these days, uh, you know, someone finding such joy in uh, fungi-related simplicities of life. As I hadn't yet eaten that day, I quickly scarfed it down, and uh, I asked for another. He gladly offered it, and this time I, I took it a, a bit more slowly. I let my taste buds uh, do their job. And this time... It was kind of an interesting taste in the mushrooms that I noticed. It was a, had a very earthy quality that was, uh, let's say it was redolent of some sort of all-natural fecal matter. And as I brought this to attention, I heard another, hee-hee-hee-hee-hee. But this time, that last one 
kind of transformed each beat, each syllable of laughter, anthropomorphized into these little yellow laughing monsters that ran up my body and stole my nose and ran off into a purple forest that was somehow bleeding. Of course, I chased after them because, despite its shape, I do like my nose. Long story less long, I woke up 72 hours later wearing my shorts as a shirt and my shirt as a makeshift diaper all alone in a deep, dark, dank cave. So because of recent circumstances, I, uh, I find myself predisposed to cave stories. So Plato's allegory of the cave coming up this time couldn't be happening at a better time for me. But will this be relevant for people of today, so-called moderns, who haven't spent three days splayed out in a cave in a mushroom-induced haze? Wow, sounds like you had a pretty bad trip. Well, hopefully emerging from that cave taught you a lesson and you've finally seen the light about the dangers of buying your pizza from guys near adult bookstores who sit in the rain on card tables. But anyway, since life is short, and since this is a complete waste of precious time, let's move on, shall we? Okay, so Plato's Allegory of the Cave, a section in his great philosophical masterpiece, Republic, is, suffice it to say, one of the most iconic and influential passages ever written. So, for those of you who might not know, let me briefly explain what it is or how it goes. And here I'm going to be skipping some details for the sake of just getting the main point across. Okay, so the allegory of the cave, as Socrates is made to report it in the Republic, imagines a group of people chained together inside an underground cave as prisoners. Now, behind the prisoners, there's a fire. And between the prisoners and the fire are moving puppets and real objects on a raised walkway with a low wall. However, the prisoners are unable to see anything behind them as they've been chained and stuck looking in one direction at the cave wall their entire lives. As they sit there looking at the wall before them, they believe the shadows of objects cast by the moving figures are not only real things but also the only things that exist. And so, their visible world, those shadows on the wall, that is their whole world. Okay, but now what happens is that one of the prisoners manages to escape from his chains, and when he does, he turns around to see what's actually been going on the whole time. He sees the fire and the solid objects and realizes that the shadows he's been taken as the real thing are actually fake. He then ascends out of the cave and into the light of the sun, and he discovers there a whole new world he was previously unaware of. What he discovers is that the outside world is so much more real than the one in the cave. It is, in fact, as real as things get. And this is important to emphasize. This is a reality marked by the completely metaphysical or supra-sensible. In other words, the highest level of being is an immaterial one. Okay, well, so what happens next is that this man, 
now, of course, aware of the illusions the other prisoners are under. What he does is he descends back down into the cave in order to try to free his friends who are still in chains. He tries to persuade the others to break free and climb up into the real world with him. However, all the other prisoners do is think that their escaped friend has gone crazy, and they're annoyed by him. Nope, they will stay right where they are, and they will continue to live in their own little ecosystem and believe that the shadows they see are real. In fact, if they were to be set free, the first thing they do is kill their so-called liberator for upsetting what they consider to be the best life they could possibly have. Okay, so that, in a nutshell, is how the story goes. Now, here's the thing. I don't want to make my focus here too large. I just want to try to talk about a few aspects of this cave allegory that I think are relevant and interesting for today. So the first aspect I want to talk about is the part where the escaped prisoner decides to descend back down into the cave to help the other prisoners. Now, the reason I think this is interesting is because you'd think that once the escaped prisoner gets out of the cave and sees the light, that he'd choose to remain and to bask in the light, right? I mean, he's just seen what's most true and most real. Why wouldn't he just want to stay there and contemplate these truths? Why go back down to that dark and deceitful subterranean cave with all those shadows and distorted appearances? Shouldn't his quest now be complete, now that he's made that arduous ascent and discovered these suprasensible truths and highest of metaphysical realities? Well, even though there are people who argue that Plato upholds a view of philosophy and of education which says that the goal of education, and really the goal of happiness, is one that takes us away from the everyday world and into the metaphysical one, I don't think that's quite true. I think there's something about the world of shadows that's hugely important for him, and that that's why the enlightened prisoner needs to descend back down into the darkness of everyday living. Okay, so what is it exactly? What's so important about the world of shadows? Or, more generally, what's so important about our everyday physical world, the one that we all inhabit? Well, what's so important is this. It's where language and dialogue happens. In fact, even stronger, language is tied to the physical realm. Language only happens here, amongst embodied beings. You see, for Plato, outside of the cave, at the highest level of being, the one where we uh, contemplate these metaphysical truths, Words and dialogue, well, they, they just aren't necessary. In fact, Plato even says in one of his personal letters that at the highest level of contemplation, words fail us. They fail to designate the essential reality of things. In other words, at this metaphysical level, it's just not through language that we gain insight. Rather, 
how insight or knowledge is imparted is through some kind of sudden and um, entirely mysterious and non-discursive experience. Anyway, my larger point here is just this. I think the reason that Plato doesn't end his story of the escaped prisoner with individual ascension, but rather goes on to talk about him descending back down to the masses and to everyday life, is because he realizes how important dialogue is for us if we want to make some headway as a species. Forget purified individual contemplation and enlightenment. What we need first and foremost is constructive and shared communication between each other. At the end of the day, the only thing we have is conversation. If we all want to improve our lot and make that ascent together, we need to talk to each other, as messy and as upsetting as it sometimes is. This is how I interpret this aspect of Plato's allegory of the cave, in particular the prisoner's descent back down, and it's why I think it's important for us today. Okay, well, you know, I want to mention one more thing. One more way in which Plato's allegory of the cave might be made relevant or might be seen as a, as a warning sign for us today. Well, so I think the allegory of the cave has, in all sorts of ways, become increasingly relevant for us in our, well, in our particular hyper-hooked-up digital age. I mean, think about it. So, first of all, just like the prisoners in the cave are glued to the reflections and the images on the wall and not the real world, so are we as well. That's to say, as more and more experiences of our lives become tethered to and mediated by our digital devices, we become further separated from the direct involvement and the direct encounter with real things. That is, with the things that we can physically touch and see, and smell, and hear. Now, to be exact about Plato's point with his cave allegory, a huge part of what he's trying to say is that real education involves turning the soul towards, as he says, that which is. Now, by that which is, by reality, he has in mind, as I already mentioned earlier, something, of course, metaphysical which is what he calls the, the world of ideas or forms, and in particular, the idea or form of the good. But even if we don't subscribe to ultimate reality being metaphysical like this, his point here is still a relevant one for us. And again, that's because what's happening in, in our particular modern caves is that we're taking as real the images on our phones and tablets without having any contact with the sources of these things or with the outside world in general, with, to use Plato's own words, that which is. Like the prisoners in Plato's cave, we too can't get past the reflections to their sources. And like them, we're pulled in by this simulacrum of reality. And so really, illusions are pretty much all we know. Now, it's worth expanding on this a little bit more. 
especially, I think, on this point about education that I mentioned. Because, again, that is a huge part of Plato's point. You see, for Plato, real education means contemplating the source or essence of things, and not their projections or their secondary images. Or maybe another way to put this that fits our modern context is this. Real education consists in contemplating reality and not virtuality. Well, this is not the kind of education that we're seeing today. No, like I said, today we we consume images and bits of data and lots of prefabricated and diluted information. But we don't know their ground or their sources. Really, we don't know what's being manipulated or not. And so, like the prisoners in the cave, because we don't want to leave the cave, because we don't want to unhook from our phones or divert our gaze from our screens, we just don't ever really see and touch the reality of things. Actually, you know, in some ways we've made it more difficult for ourselves to see and touch reality than it was for the the prisoners in Plato's cave. I mean, for them, there was always the possibility of breaking free from the hard shackles and from the one cave and then climbing out into the real world above, right? But for us, well, we've built comfortable, personal, portable caves, ones that inhabit us and ones that we can move around in everywhere we go. And these caves we live in, well, they, they interact or interface with the world through a silicone lining that is one type of screen or another. We run through forests with our headsets on, or we take pictures of real trees or landscapes that for some reason we prefer not to look straight at. Again, all of this is to withdraw into an artificial world, a world of derivative images or straight-up simulations, rather than of primary reality. And, um, here's the thing. The scary truth seems to be that these portable caves we live in, well, they've become so stimulating and so distracting and so hypnotic that we've not only lost our moorings and our anchor into the real world, but the real world has almost entirely become eclipsed. Plato's hope of ascension into the real world above our cave is of no interest today. Because, well, it just doesn't exist anymore. to the wisdom of podcast if you want to know more about this topic or the podcast in general visit wisdomofpod.com and as usual we love to read your questions and comments reach us at info at wisdomofpod.com or on twitter at wisdom underscore pod 